Today's episode is sponsored by our favorite company ever, How To ABA. Becoming a new BCBA feels lonely AF and overwhelming. While you have high aspirations to make an impact and inspire others, it also feels like there isn't enough time in the day to make the difference you want to make. This is real talk and I can totally relate to this. You're used to having people to fall back on, but now you're the one in charge, hashtag imposter syndrome. Will you have the confidence to be able to make the right clinical decisions? Well, stop doubting yourself. You are not alone. You can become the confident BCBA that your clients deserve. Half the battle is surrounding yourself with the right learning opportunities and knowing when to ask for help. Join hundreds of other ABA professionals in the behavior resource where How To ABA shares hundreds and hundreds of programs, graphs, resources, and materials that will save you time and give you the confidence to take on those big decisions. So no more being overwhelmed. We're sharing the best resource from BCBAs with years of experience. To find a BCBA with years of experience in this field is huge because it is such a new field. So go to howtoaba.com, sign up. They have all the resources you could need, whether you have a program that you're thinking about doing, that you don't have any idea how to start, they'll help you out. If they don't have the program, they'll create it. You do not have to reinvent the wheel every time they have those resources for you. Also, they are having a CEU webinar on January 20th with Sasha from Autism Helper. They also offer CEUs. How amazing is that? You really can't get much better than how to ABA. So go check them out today. And the CEUs are part of your membership. So you will be getting CEUs monthly. Again, the website is www.howtoaba.com. It's behavior bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. And we are here with episode 32. Wow. Three, two. All you BCBAs, are you doing your CEUs? If not, go check out our ad in the beginning of the episode. How to ABA has one coming up on January 20th. It is great with Sasha from the Autism Helper. That was my rhyme. How was it? We're getting worse as time goes on, but hey, (laughs) it's more advertisement for the CEU and I think it's great. All right, before we get started, we obviously got to pair ourselves with some reinforcement. Duh, so it's time for our five-star review. Casey, give us a good one. Someone saying something nice, please. Okay, so this one is an Apple review. We're back on the Apple reviews because we so, so, so appreciate them. This one came in on Tuesday from Kaylee Marie, one, two, three, four, five. Kaylee Marie, make sure you send us a DM if you hear this. Best ABA podcast, five stars. I just found this podcast. I have one semester left for my master's in ABA and have been looking for ways to review on the road. Your podcast is the best because you guys review terms that are related to things outside the autism community, which helps me with generalization and to solidify my knowledge. I would love a Terminology Tuesdays from you guys that's more focused to those studying for the exam. You just wait, honey. You just wait. We have something in the works, but I'm not going to say it yet because I like to get people all hot and bothered before I actually put something out there. So you just wait. But thanks for the review. Really appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Anyways, today's episode, I am super excited 
It's a really cool topic. We have a wonderful guest here. And Casey is going to do the introduction because this guest is from the same random state that I didn't even know existed that Casey lives in. New Hampshire, New Hampshire, live free or die. Yeah. New Hampshire is the best. I know if anyone's out there listening from New Hampshire, let's meet up. So our guest today, um, she actually reached out to us because she no, actually- I reached out to her. No, her, she reached out to me first a long time ago. Oh, well, what, okay, this, this is, is not a competition. <laughs> this is not a competition. She probably reached out to me first, but whatever. <laughs> It's our, our second podcast fight. Perfect. Um, no, just kidding. So Chelsea reached out. She has uh, actually started her own podcast and with her mom and knew that I was from New Hampshire. So she reached out a while ago and then Liat reached out to her because she thought she was super cool too. Um, let's give a little bit of intro on our guest. Her name is Chelsea Gamash. Okay. She lives in New Hampshire. Like I said, she was diagnosed with selective mutism at five years old and she immediately began therapy cognitive behavioral therapy, and medication. While progress was made over the years, she still had issues talking in school and presenting school projects up until fifth or sixth grade. She switched schools in seventh grade and felt like she had a fresh start. Seventh grade sucks, man. I'm sorry, but... Sucks. And felt like she had a fresh start, but she still struggled with social anxiety, panic attacks, all through high school. She went on to study psychology at a school called Acadia University in Wolfville, Nova Scotia for two years before returning back to New Hampshire and finishing up her coursework at the University of New Hampshire, Casey's alma mater. That's me. I don't know why I referred to myself in the third person. <laughs> she discovered ABA when she began looking for a job and then went back to school for behavior analysis at Simmons University. She recently graduated and passed the BCBA exam. Yes, queen. Congrats, lady. Her mom and her, like I said, also started a podcast discussing life with SM, selective mutism. It's called Out Loud, the Selective Mutism Podcast, which is how we all got connected. So first off, congrats for passing your boards and starting a podcast when you never wanted to speak before. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Chelsea. Okay, well, well, this is awkward. Um, I guess she wasn't ready. <laughs> oh, hi, guys. <laughs> just kidding guys we have chelsea here she is ready to talk about selective mutism thought yeah. we put a little bit of comedy into <laughs> a topic that i think is great for people to learn and understand about so chelsea welcome thank you so much for having me on i've been I'm like, so excited yeah i've been a fan of your podcast since like episode one so this is crazy to be on thank you so much see i told you she reached out to me first i yeah. did yeah um, I remember Casey posted like, where is everyone from? And I commented New Hampshire. So she was all excited that we were both from New Hampshire. Yeah. And then I found out you had a really cool podcast that you were starting with your mom. Yeah. I tuned in. I thought it was awesome. Um, what you guys are doing. Cause I know that I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening, whether they've experienced selective mutism, um, themselves or they know someone or they've had to work with somebody and they don't know what to do. Um, just to bring you on to spread some light and knowledge is um, our goal today. Yeah, that's my goal too. I want to spread the word because still not everyone knows about it. So this is awesome. Before we get started, let me talk about the be behavioral principles we will cover today. The behavioral principles, there might be more, there might be less, probably more. 
We're going to talk about positive and negative reinforcement, augmentative communication, token economies, phylogeny versus ontogeny, operant conditioning, contingency shaped behavior. And this is what we'll be talking about. But I think before we get started, the most important thing for us to do to be technological and give a clear operational definition of what is considered um, selective mutism. Chelsea, can you give us an operational definition? Sure. So this is coming from the DSM. So selective mutism is the failure to speak in specific social situations. And it's important to say the failure to speak because it is not a choice. It used to be defined as the refusal to speak. But now we know that um, your body is like in freeze mode. So you physically feel like you cannot speak. And then again, it's not diagnosed if it's due to some other communication disorder or lack of knowledge of the spoken language. So if you don't speak English well, it's not going to be diagnosed as selective mutism if you're not talking. Very interesting. So I, I actually have worked with someone in the past who had selective mutism. And I know when we were talking with you before the show, it was really interesting because I was like, I wish I had you to speak to when I was working with this client, because I could have understood things a lot better. So what was it like growing up with selective mutism? Yeah, so just to put it into perspective, I guess what it really looks like is you have a kid who is like a chatterbox at home and they're like totally themselves. And then you put them in a new situation like school and they don't talk like all day for hours. They're not talking. And I felt so afraid. Like, I don't think you can see the fear because you're just frozen. Um, but oftentimes I would just spend the whole day terrified and worried about what people were thinking about me. I felt like I could mind read, like I thought everyone in the room was thinking about me and how I'm not talking, which is probably not true. Um, yeah, just, I can just say it was scary, like all day, just total um, social anxiety, I guess. But to a different level. Yeah. Obviously. yeah. Like, were, do you feel like you were wanting? Were you like ever like, oh, I wish I could respond to this, Absolutely. but I just can't. Yeah. So if someone asked you a question or something, I had the words and like in my brain, I'm like shouting the answer. And it feels like it's like stuck in your throat almost like it, you physically cannot form words. And it's so frustrating. Wow. It's so interesting because would you miss out on opportunities? Like a teacher would be like, okay, who wants a candy? Yeah, absolutely. And like you wanted that candy, but you, you just couldn't get it. Yeah. All kinds of, yeah. Like friends, like I felt like I missed out on a lot of opportunities to have some really great friends because if someone I liked would talk to me, I couldn't really answer them. Um, I definitely missed out on a lot. Yeah. So interesting. Okay. So do you remember when you were diagnosed? Is that a memory that you have? I or? do. I do. Um, it's not like specific, but I was definitely aware that I had anxiety. And I think I felt like there was something wrong with me. Like I felt like, oh, I have to go to the doctor all the time for this problem. So I'm different from everyone. And it definitely feels pretty isolating. 
And it's something that I felt embarrassed about for years. And this is very new to me, like sharing my story. And it's been like really empowering. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much because, (laughs) well, you know, we, we were laughing on the phone between us and we were saying, you know, you know, it's something that's not really spoken about, you know, like there's a lot of like, if you have an addiction, there's support groups, people, and which still is a little bit taboo to say you have something or for family members of someone dealing with it. And I remember you made the joke on the phone. You're like, yeah, but a selective mute um, support group would be very quiet. Right. And so, um, and I like that you're able to make light of it now. And I mean, that's how I deal with a lot of my personal issues I have make light of them because how else can we deal with these things? Otherwise it's too much, but I I want you to explain the difference between, because when I spoke to you, silly, ignorantly at, I had said, um, because I had been asked to work with a different client than I was talking about earlier before. And they had told me, Oh, my, my daughter's a selective mute. Um, and, you know, it was triggered by a trauma. So then I started looking stuff up and maybe just based on the way I was searching things, it was like trauma, selective mutism. And so I assumed that selective mutism had the antecedent of a trauma and you had explained otherwise. So can you explain why I'm, I'm, I'm ignorant? So there's something called traumatic mutism, which is totally different. And I think a lot of the time that's like a common misconception that people with selective mutism were somehow traumatized um, or abused in some way. And that's why they're mute. But you have to keep in mind that these kids are speaking like completely at home, usually. I mean, sometimes they're not, but in certain situations, they're more comfortable and they're talking. So it's not a matter of being traumatized. I had no trauma as a child. Um, and traumatic mutism is another, it seems similar, I guess, because um, kids- Is it still selective? Is it still only during certain times? Um, traumatic? Yeah. I don't know. I think some it can be because I think in certain situations, if it's similar to where you were traumatized or like with the person who traumatized you, then you're probably going to be silent in just that situation. But yeah. This is conditioning, conditioning, hashtag conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. It's also coming across to me like a little behavior contrast. So one, so maybe at home without even really acknowledging or cognitively understanding, maybe you're being reinforced, you know, by your parents or your siblings in a way Mm -hmm. that you don't even think about. Right. So you're able to talk. Maybe it's just a comfortability is reinforcing. um, You're safe. And then at school or in other social situations that could be very punishing um, without it even actually you know, intending to be a punisher, right? Yeah. Um, but that attention is definitely serving to you, or I'm, maybe you could tell me if I'm wrong, but as a punisher, right? You don't want that. You It decreases your behavior in that setting of being able to speak. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think the way people react with you can be more reinforcing. So certain people I would feel more comfortable talking to, and then other people I'd be completely silent. And I see a pattern a lot where some kids with selective mutism are more comfortable with adults and then they don't really talk to children like peers. Um, That was me. Other people are like the opposite. It's all like, yeah, it really depends on who you're more comfortable with. 
So there's some stimulus discrimination there, essentially, yeah. you know, like, you know, you're in front of a school setting, wherever it is, you're like, silent, right? Yep. Would you nod your head? If someone asked um, something? Sometimes. Or is that also attention? Sometimes I think sometimes even that is too scary because your body is frozen. Um, but I think if your anxiety is low enough that you can nod and get out of the situation, then yeah, I would rather do that. So my, my, I, sorry, I have so many questions. Casey, yeah. you could stop me if you want to say anything in between. I'm just I, fascinated. I want to, I want to throw in, um, so in our show notes today, there's going to be a lot of amazing resources that Chelsea sent us to. Um, so if you guys want to go and read some of the articles, but one of them was called In Focus, Selective Mutism, Who Put the C in the CBT by Stephen Kurtz. And I want to read something and maybe Chelsea can um, talk about it a little more. But um, first, selective mutism affects approximately one in 140 young children is and is highly comorbid with, but distinct from social phobia. That's one. Then the other thing that I found interesting was that children with um, SM vigilantly scan the environment to make sure that they are not accidentally overheard and to protect their zones of silence. So maybe you talk about social phobia and zones of silence. Yeah. So I was also diagnosed with social phobia, um, which is interesting. I didn't even know that until a few years ago, but I had all these different anxiety disorders. Um, to me, they all seem like one thing, but they are all separate. Um, so what are we talking? Oh yeah. So Sounds of silence. if there's people, I always had at least one friend, which can sometimes kids have no one, but at school, I always had one friend who I felt comfortable talking to, but it would have to be somewhere where I felt like nobody could overhear me so or I would whisper it to them so no one else could hear me and that's very common with selective mutism would you let them see you whispering like or would that get attention being like Even she's that. talking to someone she's yeah. talking to someone exactly and that's the kind of reaction that's like the most aversive <laughs> so yeah absolutely you don't want people or I didn't want people to see me even whispering but some kids feel comfortable signing, like using sign language, or I don't know, I would not feel comfortable doing that. I was too afraid to even like get up from my desk and walk to the pencil sharpener. I was too afraid to walk to the bathroom. Teachers would tell me like, you don't have to ask, just go. But I didn't want people watching me get up to walk to the door. So that's the question I asked you when I when we first had our phone call. Yeah, Casey, well, I spoke to her on the phone first, not trying to one up you, but I did. And I was telling her, you know, I had a kid who I worked with who had an autism diagnosis. I'm telling you this. I truly did not believe it was an autism diagnosis, even though I am not one to diagnose. But I was like, this kid is everything about him is completely normal behavior wise. Like we're to go sit in his classroom at school and he actually was the best behaved definitely never drew attention, would do his work as soon as he was told. Um, but I remember, and I, I was telling, and I was t asking Chelsea about this. I was like, this kid, he was in a Catholic school and it would come time where they needed to go cite their one sentence verse, biblical verse or whatever it is to the teacher behind, like in the back seat of the classroom, the teacher would sit at her little like semi like moon table semi-circle table you sit on the other side of it she's asked you to say it it's like three seconds it might like be like literally five words 
And he would sit there, nothing would come out, literally. And she'd be like, it's okay, okay, you want to come whisper it? You want to do this? Nothing would come out. So, like, I'm there, um, a behavioral therapist, and I'm like, it's okay. Okay, fine. Remember, I have your prize box here. If you say it, you're going to get this or that. Nothing would come out. Then I would see him, his pencil would break. He had literally no lead left in it, or not lead, because, I mean, it wasn't a mechanical. It was a regular pencil. It would get down to literally nothing that there was like an overhanging of wood over it that you couldn't even see the lead. And he would keep writing with it. And I'd be like, dude, come on, let's just go sharpen it. You need to. He's like, would shake his head no. And then I asked Chelsea about that. And she told me something interesting that she would do with her pencil. What did you tell me you would do? That is so funny that someone had like the same experience almost. But um. So I would also have like the pencil problem where the lead would like fall out. You remember how uh-huh. that happened? So instead of getting up to like sharpen my pencil or get a new one, I would pick up like the little piece of lead in between my fingertips and just finish my like worksheet with that. And that was just to wow. avoid the attention. That's, I mean, and wait, and you also said going to the bathroom, you literally would have medical issues as a result. Uh-huh. What what happened because you would not go to the bathroom all day and stand up to go to right. the bathroom? I also found anything bathroom related like embarrassing for some reason. So I like didn't want someone to make fun of me like, oh, she has to go pee. Like that would be completely mortifying, <laughs> even though it's not a big deal. Um, I kind of so- get that. When I was like, younger, I'd be like, I don't want someone to hear me peeing in the bathroom. I've got to yeah. like shuffle the, to- shuffle the toilet paper so loud that they don't know that I'm peeing. That was another problem I had. Um, in addition to that, um, I had like sensory process- processing disorder. So the sound of automatic toilets like completely terrified me. So that was a whole nother boundary. But I would hold my pee all day long. And then when I got home, I'd run to the bathroom and this caused like a lot of damage to my bladder and I had a lot of UTIs. So this is super common too with selective mutism kids. It's a big problem. Wow. It's it's just, it's um, because people are thinking like, oh, I could just like, and I was that person thinking I could just go to the dollar store, get him. I know he loves dinosaurs. I know he loves this. I could just get a million erasers and put the best things in the box. And it was like, no matter what. And he wanted those things. Cause if I'd be in his house, he would like do anything to get those. But at school, there was like nothing I could do to get him to do those things. And I saw he was literally like pained about it. Yeah. And they, I bet he wanted to talk. Every kid that I've known of that has selective mutism, including myself, wants to talk more than anything. Like you just want to be normal and fit in but it's hard. Like you feel like you can't. It's so, so amazing that um, I was joking earlier. I was getting ready this morning for the podcast and thinking about Chelsea and I'm like, like coming up with rhymes for the show and blah, blah. blah. And I'm like, Oh, from scared, from too scared to pee to podcast queen. I know, (laughs) but I'm like, it's just amazing that you're, you're actually, you've overcome Uh um, and you are, not only hosting your own podcast, um, but now you're coming on a podcast, which is, I mean, even for me, I have zero um, diagnoses of any type of anxiety or any, you know, nothing like that. But I am scared shitless every single time we record. Like, mm-hmm. 
it's always um, a, an anxiety provoking situation, even though we've been doing it for like, what I don't know, seven months, 32 episodes later, <laughs> you'd think it'd get easier. It doesn't. So kudos to you for yeah. um, having the, you know, whatever it may be to do it. But I don't know. Can you talk to us a little bit about, um, I know you mentioned there was like, sometimes you started getting some therapy, like some sticker charts or token economies. Yeah. So I really started making progress when I started therapy in combination with meds. Um, so I was doing like goal setting and sticker charts and which is basically like token economy if you're not familiar with sticker charts. Um, so I would earn like a sticker each time I completed a goal. It started out with like just waving or something nonverbal and then it gradually got harder. So I would, once I was doing that, consistently the goal would be to say hi and then it would be more than that so, um, so it was like shaping essentially shaping exactly and once I earned enough stickers I would get my beanie baby for the week and <laughs> we would just keep setting goals and that's how I overcame it like I always had this like dr like an eternal motivation to overcome this it's like what I wanted more than anything. So I think it wasn't like trying to force me into therapy. It was me wanting to get better. Um, yeah. So do you think that ADA, now that you're a BCBA, you understand ADA, do you think any parts, principles, treatment, usage of ADA could have been helpful for you I mean, obviously a token economy is essentially also part of ABA, but yeah. like looking at it now, um, yeah. what could have been helpful using our science? Yeah, I think a lot of it is similar. Like what I went through in therapy is like very similar to ABA. There's like the shaping and um, positive reinforcement, obviously. And you're trying to break the cycle of negative reinforcement, which we didn't really talk about yet, I don't think. I want you to talk about that sure. majorly. Talk so about this it. Is, this is how selective mutism is maintained as like a cycle of behavior or whatever. So let's say a child is asked a question. Um, so you're like, hey, Chelsea, what's your favorite animal? And then my anxiety is like spiking. I'm like feeling super anxious. I'm freezing. Like my body <laughs> feels like it's under attack. So I'm going to try to avoid that situation until it goes away. Um, a lot of the times we see just the freezing, but kids can also hide. They can elope. <laughs> they can um, just hide behind their mom. So then usually the adult sees their kid in distress and they'll rescue you. And they'll answer for you or they're they're going to make some excuse like, oh, she's she's just shy. And then immediately that breaks the awkward silence and everyone feels better, including the adult. So that is your negative reinforcement we were talking about. So in therapy, one of the biggest parts of this is parent training. So we're trying to have the parent wait out that awkward silence and it's going to feel really awkward and it's going to feel like you're not helping your kid but in the long run that is what's maintaining selective mutism that's amazing so negative reinforcement guys remember if anyone's listening studying negative reinforcement reinforcement means you do something or something there's some 
stimulus as a consequence or removal of something that increases the future frequency of you doing something. So let's say Chelsea's in an aversive state. Someone asked her a question. She's freaking out. She's like, okay, I know if I be quiet or I run away or I do this, I escape or I avoid. I'm going to get out of that aversive state of having to answer that question. My mom's going to rescue me. The teacher is going to say, hey, don't ask her right now. It's not a good time. So then that behavior she of, you know, of staying quiet was essentially reinforced by the removal of something aversive. She got out of that situation. So she escaped that situation. And so in future, she will engage in that same behavior again. That's the reinforcement part of it. And so it's interesting now when, when you understand things behaviorally that you could look at everything through a behavioral lens. Really cool. And I, I'm sure also for you, because I definitely would be that teacher. I Knowing me, I think I could get along with everyone. I'm like, no, 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 I got it. Like, we'll be cool. Don't worry. And I'm sure a lot of teachers thought that like, oh, she'll open up to me, this or that, or I'll be like extra loving to her or give her extra time thinking that that's a reinforcer. And this is exactly what goes wrong when we assume we know someone's reinforcer, right? Yeah. And for you, me giving you that extra attention or time probably was the biggest punisher ever. Yeah. I mean, kids would say like, oh, she doesn't talk. Like, she's not going to answer you. And then if I did talk, I was expecting like that crazy reaction. Like, oh, my God, she just talked and everyone clapping and like the teacher saying, that's amazing. Like, good job. And that is probably why I continued not to talk because I wanted to avoid that attention because you would get more attention than anyone else who talked because yeah. it was such a like you had deprived them there was deprivation so when Chelsea talks it's like everyone goes crazy uh-huh. yeah <laughs> and you're like please don't bring that attention to me that's the worst thing you could ever do a lot of teachers th- that didn't know what they were doing would also like if the, say the class is like out of control for a minute, everyone's like yelling. She'd be like, wow, I really like how Chelsea is sitting there so quietly. And like, I would just feel like I was going to throw up. <laughs> oh, God. So what, would you ever personally sabotage yourself? So what I mean by that is. Let's say you were doing a math mad minute, right? Can you finish all these multiplication problems in Uh one minute? Because I know like I've been a teacher before. If you do it, if you get them all, you complete it and you get them all right in that one minute, you get called to the board and you're on the mad minute wall and you get to choose from the prize box. Oh yeah, I wouldn't finish it. On purpose? Even if you could? Yeah. Is that masking? Yeah, baby, you have the skill, but there was a competing stimulus of being maybe called to the board. So you were like, nope, not doing this. Yep. Because you seem, you seem like a pretty smart girl. <laughs> I mean, you're a BCBA, so you've got to be smart, right? <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people, when you're that quiet, they either assume she's stupid or they assume she's really smart, which is interesting, but totally different ends of the spectrum right (laughs) yeah so I know you started a podcast with your mom right Uh can you tell us a little bit about the podcast and maybe why you decided to do it with your mom and if your mom's there maybe she wants to spread some light on how it is being a mom to someone with SM 
she is around. I can get her in here. Um, so we started the podcast. It was my idea. I just really felt like there's not enough people talking about it. And I'm really into podcasts. So I was like, why isn't there a podcast about this? Like, I see all these Facebook groups and there's so many families that are asking questions and it's like nobody seems to know what to do. There's like all these treatment options and parents are confused and there's teens who still have selective mutism that were never diagnosed and they're diagnosing themselves and everyone's just confused basically. And I just felt like we need to fill in that gap and I my main goal is just to inspire people and show them like I could do like I did this so you can do it like I never thought that I would have a normal job I never thought especially working with people like I work with families in their homes (laughs) like that's completely crazy to me like if you told that to little Chelsea she'd be like no way (laughs) um I don't know I just I wanted people to know like you can do this too it's beautiful. It's amazing. And when you do something like that, it makes a difference. I mean, that's why I started study notes. Cause I was like, if I could pass this test with all the challenges I went through, anyone can. And I'm sure that you are helping so many people as a result. I really hope so. I'm like trying to um, give people resources at least. Like, I feel like that's all I can do. I can only share my experience. I'm not like an expert um, other than in my own experiences. Yeah, but someone that's gone through it is probably more of an yeah. expert than someone who's saying they're an yeah. expert because they have a PhD, right? Yeah. And now that I have my BCBA, I'm like, how can I like fuse these two together? Like, I feel like I would love to help kids with selective mutism. You should I'm- be you should be a specialist, like use that yeah. as your specific specific target audience that or clientele that you work with. Yeah, I'm trying to find opportunities. I'm working on it. Um, I feel like I need that experience first though. Like I, like, obviously I've been on the inside, but I want to be in that therapist role with kids who have SM. Like that would be totally different. I think. You're going to crush it. I love that. (laughs) Thank you. Big goals for Chelsea. Yeah. You'll have a way better understanding than anyone else doing it. Actually, Shira from How to ABA who sponsored the episode was like, I'm so excited we're sponsoring this episode because I have a client that I would love to get information on. So um, just also, even one person alone. Let me just find, what did, um, in the show notes, Chelsea did share a free online e-course about selective mutism for parents, teachers, and therapists. It's uh, www.selectivemutismlearning.org. It'll also be in the show notes. Um, did you Have you taken that, Chelsea? Um, which one is it? The It's the free online training that you sent us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have done that. And I think it's super helpful. Like they break it down for just like your everyday parent or teacher. Like it's a great starting point if you don't know anything. And a lot of teachers ask, like, how can I help this kid? Like, how am I supposed to be interacting with them? So I definitely recommend that. Hi, mom. Yeah, she's hiding over here. (laughs) We have a fourth, I mean, a second guest on now. Um, We thought we could just maybe get your insight on how it was being a mom raising um, a child with selective mutism. Um, hmm. Challenge. Loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, challenging. I mean, especially in the beginning, because we didn't really know what was going on. We knew something was a little bit off or different. Um, and then even, you know, taking her to a therapist, um, even that took a while to get a diagnosis. Um, but you know, once you, once you read what selective mutism is, it just clicks. Like when you read it, you just, you know, right away, that's what it is. Um, you know, so that's a relief because then you know how to, how to help her, mm -hmm. how to approach it. And she found the diagnosis, like mm -hmm. in the, in the nineties, like there's nothing, there wasn't much on the internet about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think like we had taken her to East, you know, we talked to the pediatrician and um, we, you know, the only thing I ever got once when I was leaving the room was she says, you know, do you think she's autistic? And that really just took me back because I think I had said to her, she doesn't do hand motions or she won't, um, you know, participate in things. Mm -hmm. So that's where that came from. Um, and then I just started Googling, you know, extreme shyness. Um, because that was the label. Everyone was, she's so shy. She's shy. You know, we heard that just repeatedly. I hate that word, guys. Yeah, it was such a negative. <laughs> so um, anyone listening, do not call someone <laughs> shy. That they have selective mutism. They probably got conditioned. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. She Definitely just, yeah. learning history. <laughs> the minute she heard somebody say she was shy, that person was on the list. Forget it. It wasn't going to happen. Um, so yeah, we just, you know, I Googled, Googled one night I found it and I'm like, this is what it is. And then based on that, we called Boston Children's and that led to our diagnosis. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, it's not, a, there's no quick fix. It's um, anxiety, which, you know, I guess some people that hangs on and other people that doesn't, um, you know, SM is its separate entity um, and everyone's affected differently and, you know, we're all different, but um yeah it is a you know if not a full-time job a part-time job mm -hmm. like you have Absolutely. to work it continually every day what would be your biggest piece of advice like what did you do as a parent would it be maybe patience or whatever type of approach that you took when you found out um well i think the biggest thing at least i don't know for me and Chels, was i just always tried to i could just see the terror i could see the even in her own home, she was uncomfortable. Like she talked to dad and I and her arms would be twisting. And, you know, while she was telling us a story, you could just see, I guess your heart would just, you know, she's in her own home and she's uncomfortable. Um, so for me, the main goal was just trying to make her feel safe and loved and understood. Um, she always liked to follow rules because she didn't want any attention on herself. Um, so she wasn't really a kid to, really get into trouble or anything, you know, she was that well-behaved kid. Um, you know, <laughs> the grocery store, you don't know though, she was my first child. So I didn't really know, you know, things like going to the grocery store, she would never, ever ask for anything going through the checkout. Um, but when I had my second son, I learned, oh, <laughs> this is different. They're going to um, want candy. <laughs> yeah. So I think the biggest thing was really just, I would- Chelsea, did you want those? Did you want the candy at the checkout? I don't remember, but probably I would probably see things I wanted. Yeah, she wouldn't even ask for food at home. Like she wouldn't go up to the fridge herself or get a drink or she just didn't ask for anything. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me, so in summary, was just trying to make her feel safe in her own home, make her feel supported. Um, you know, she never was a kid to come into our bed at night, but I would always lay with her at night because for her, that was her that was our little time. Mm -hmm. I think with the lights out, she felt safe and we could talk about the day and, 
you know, just talk about everything. Yeah. Um, we definitely like analyze the whole day and like what worked and like, what yeah. can we do to make this better? Like a lot of problem solving. Yeah. Sort of working on the, and she'd always ask about the next day. What's happening tomorrow? Oh, yeah. When are you coming <laughs> home? Who's going to be here? Like all the little details she wanted to know. Um, so I would say just making her feel safe and comfortable and loved. You guys have a beautiful relationship. I know. I can it. see it. I'm, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's really beautiful to see. Exactly. Like, um, I don't know. I feel like you almost kind of feel like you've been through a battle together. Yeah. You know, and you come out the other side. It's that so, shared adversity, right? Yeah. Yeah. We don't always see eye to eye. No. <laughs> we have some creative differences with the podcast, but we're working through it. That's wonderful. Yeah. Liat and I do too. We like fight every <laughs> single day. No, I'm just kidding. Wow. Well, thank you, mom, for coming on and shedding some um, parent light from mm -hmm. that You're perspective. Welcome. You're welcome. Can I, um, can I add something? Of course. You can add everything. <laughs> yeah, sure. Exactly. Fine. So I also just wanted to say, you know, all the, you know, all the good things like that we, we try to do, like, you know, sticker charts and all that and talking with teachers and all that. That's all like positive, positive. But I just want to mention too, that you do come across people that don't want to be educated, people that don't want to help you. And that sounds really, teachers. Um, yeah. I don't know, hard to believe or whatever, but I just want to say, you know, you're, not everyone is supportive when you're trying to help your kid, like they might think mm -hmm. they know better. And I just think, you know, if you can remove your child from those situations, those people, um, because they're not helpful and it's not going to help your cause. Um, whether it be, yeah, if it's yeah. a teacher, like that's a whole year of whole like year progress gone. that is not going to happen just because that teacher won't yeah. change their ways. Yeah. And you have to be her biggest advocate, right? Right. So your child's true. biggest advocate. With mm -hmm. school and also just things like um i'll say this and then i'm done <laughs> no um, i love it like we had put chelsea and um i don't know if we've talked about it on one podcast about a dance she wanted so badly to do tap and ballet so i put her in a class and i had explained the whole sm thing over the phone because there was some money involved and uh, costumes and recitals and all this stuff so i had explained it we were all in agreement they understood and then, of course, I think maybe the third class, they stomped her out into the waiting room, dragging her by her arm, saying, this isn't working. Because um, I oh was my God. in there. She didn't want to make any noise in a tap class. <laughs> I don't know how I got into that situation. I still do that. Like, I put myself in scary situations. Yeah. So things like that. Though. But, like, dance is literally, like, you do it for attention. You know, you're like, I can't wait for that <laughs> oh, recital. Yeah. Tap dance. I'm loud. I'm out there. I don't know what yeah. I was thinking. Anyway, we yanked her out of that class. But just to say, Good. you know, just not everyone's on board, no matter, even if you talk to them, they say they've got it. Um, in the end, you know, sometimes you have to just remove your child um, from those situations. Yeah, if it's doing more harm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us thank on. Thank you. I only know you as mom, so thank you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, have a good day. All right, so the last thing I, I wanted to ask you about, and. It's, it's interesting hearing both sides of it. And your mom just seems like the sweetest angel ever. <laughs> yeah. um, do you think there's a, I, I know, and pre-alert, no one freak out, we're not diagnosticians, but do you think there's a possibility of misdiagnosis of, before your mom even said that, I had, we had that question written yeah. here, a misdiagnosis, people might say, oh, 
this person has autism when it could be selective mutism. Yeah, yeah, I 100% think so. I mean, you see a kid that to you is nonverbal, like you're not seeing them at home. So first of all, like that, that's a red flag. It's like this kid's nonverbal. They're not participating in anything. They appear very like not social because they're isolating themselves probably in the corner of the classroom. So that definitely has some similarities to autism. Um, you probably don't want to make eye contact in case especially it when draws nobody, attention. Like everyone knows what autism is. Nobody knows what selective mutism is. Even mental health professionals don't know yet. Like I had a therapist um, that I saw like as an adult, like a few years ago, and she had never heard of it. I'm just like, what is happening? People need to know. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. And the, and what I love what you said, and then I promise we really could close off. I love how you had said we were talking about the nineties and AIM. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I mean, you, you, you said when you would get home, you would get on AIM and what would you do? Yeah. I would message all the classmates that I felt like I couldn't talk to. Like I, <laughs> I don't know. It was just so like freeing. I felt like, oh, this is like a way that I can connect with people that I'm terrified of connecting to face to face, which is crazy. But I think that also serves as a bridge because if you're communicating in one setting, it makes it easier to do face to face. Um, And that was, yeah, that was part of it because you are picturing every like you think you can read everyone's mind so you're like oh everyone at the school thinks that I can't talk that I'm the quiet girl so I can't break that but if you can break it in a way where you feel safe then it makes it easier to do in person and you feel like you're not going to get as big of a reaction which is it's it's really cool because I remember AIM talk like you'll talk to anyone who literally is not your friend like hey 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 babe What's up? NMU. Um, BRB. Same here. Yeah. BRB. Away, <laughs> me- away message. <laughs> away, uh, yeah, away message. Hanging out with my best friend ever. Even though I'm sitting I- right here looking at the computer <laughs> waiting for yeah. people to respond. Like yeah. I had a boyfriend who like I could only talk to on there. But as soon as I see him at school, I would like hide behind like the pillars. <laughs> yeah. That's and and I and I, I would not say that I was a shy one, but with that, yeah. But it's amazing that um you were able to do that. Mm-hmm. And and that's what made me think of augmentative communication. But you also had mentioned that you would not want to make yourself stand out as any more different. Like, I mean, there wasn't iPads then, but like you wouldn't want to be like using an iPad voice. Or pecs. A lot of people jump to pecs. They're like, oh, your kid has like mutism. Why aren't they using pecs? It's like, they don't want that attention. Like, <laughs> I guess I'm only speaking for myself because I do see kids that are successful with that. And that's great for like kids who feel like they can't use the bathroom at school. Like, I 100% think that is great if they feel comfortable doing it. Um, I had like a nonverbal, like, I don't even know. I would like put something on my desk, like in a certain spot. And that meant I had to go to the bathroom. So then I would go like this was later on when I felt more comfortable standing up and leaving. But I think I just wanted to fit in and I didn't want any kind of like AAC or like, I don't know. I didn't even want to do sign language. Like, so 
that was well, it makes it's really a hard thing to deal with because it's like any of these alternatives essentially are then making you quote unquote different Mm-hmm. So you don't want to talk, but you definitely don't want to be holding signs in the air right. or it's using your like hands. That... You'd rather talk than like be completely different and using pecs. Yeah. And and I think I've learned a lot from this also because I, I feel like my loud personality might be like, um, all right, together, me and you are going to do this. Let's go. And that's probably like the worst thing ever. Like this like tough <laughs> love. You're like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> But sometimes you do need that push. Like people, there's like a healthy medium. Like you don't want people who are going to like coddle you and like protect you from the whole world because you're never going to get over it. You do need someone who's like, I know you can do this. Like we're going to work on it together and get through it. Yeah. I think the big thing is just understanding, right? Yeah. Having someone who understands and isn't trying to change you, but is also trying to help you um, at your own pace when you're ready. And individualizing the program, because there's a difference with someone who's shy in new settings. And sorry to say the word. I don't want you to start freaking out on me because I know shy is is a bad word. (laughs) I'm just kidding. There's a difference between someone who's shy, like when first getting somewhere and like hiding behind their parent. And there's a difference between someone who literally has selective mutism, that seems like a whole different level. Right. Are, do you still deal with any of these feelings now or it's completely gone? Um, I do. I mean, we'll talk about this in a minute. I just wanted to say real quick that shyness, you warm up over time. Selective mutism, it can get worse over time without treatment. So that's the difference. Like if you think your kid's just shy and it's been like a month, then it's probably not that they're just shy. Um, But yeah, I still have social anxiety that did not go away, even though I can talk in all these settings. I felt like I had like a resurge of selective mutism in college, actually, which I was we were just talking about this, Casey. Um, I did. I volunteered to do an internship. This is another example of me putting myself in a situation where I'm not ready. So I volunteered at a crisis hotline for sexual and domestic abuse, which was I thought was so cool, but I was really afraid. And once I was on the hotline, like the phone would ring and I physically could not like move my hand to the phone. Um, Wow. Which led me, (laughs) I talked to my supervisor. I was like, I don't know, like I can't help these people. Like I physically cannot pick up the phone. And they didn't really understand that, but they moved me to the shelter where I was working on people face to face, which for some reason was easier. That's um, interesting. I would think it would be the opposite. I, I still have the phone problem. Like I've had so many interviews, like now that I'm a BCBA, I'm like applying to all these jobs, like the podcast, we're having guests coming on soon. So I'm like having to talk on the phone with people. And that is something I usually avoid. Like I can do it, but I hate doing it. And it makes me scared. But I think, yeah, um, it's getting easier with each phone call. I think it might have something to do with not being able to see the person's like face. Like you can't read what they're thinking. So then you're filling in gaps like, oh, they think I'm dumb. They think I'm like, I don't know. I think also I'm- small world. <laughs> uh, my aunt is was she's not any longer there, but she was the um, one of the directors for Haven, uh, yeah, which is the place that Chelsea volunteered, which we just realized, too. Such that's a small, small world. world. Yeah. Well, isn't New Hampshire like the size of a paperclip? Hey. <laughs> There's two yeah. of us here, Leah. <laughs> isn't this like a paperclip covered with water? 
I oh associate God. New Hampshire to just be like water. I know. Casey's... She said that to me. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, I like Casey's... the coast. The coast? But she's like, yeah, there's so many lakes or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> because I don't know Casey's always posting a picture like, I'm in a waterfall. I'm in a river. <laughs> I'm in a lake. I'm driving <laughs> on the road. And I'm here in a spring. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't get it. Like, all I've seen is a swimming pool here in Dallas. So I'm just confused. Are yeah, you going to so. visit New Hampshire? Not in the winter. I'm trying to keep the rest of my fingers. You should come in the fall. The fall that that fall. that I'd be about. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for coming on today and being our guest. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so happy that I get to share this with more people. Yeah, baby. That's awesome. I know you we're going to share this. Yeah. So excited. Okay. Everyone go tune in to Chelsea's podcast. Where's your podcast located? I I listened on Apple. Yeah, it's on pretty much everything. I feel like it's on it's on Google um, Podcasts. It's on Apple, obviously. It's on Spotify. You should be able to find it anywhere. Um, we also have Instagram. Like, if you just search it, it should come up with whatever podcast app you listen to. Stitcher. So listen. Type in out loud one word: the Selective Mutism Podcast. Go check it out. Leave a review. All of us, I think you don't mind bad attention, right? No, I love it. Yeah, reviews are great. They're fun. Yes. Amazing. I, <laughs> I know. So do we. We like literally are like, uh, uh, uh. every time we get one, I'm like, yes. And I go like, show my mom. Yeah. So awesome. So cute. I love it. All right, guys. Actually mediated positive reinforcement, oh, baby. Yeah. All right. Leon, tell them so where they can find us. You guys know where to find us, behaviorbitches.com. You can find us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Behavior Bitches Podcast. And you can support us too for as low as $2 a month on our Patreon, which is www.patreon.com slash Behavior Bitches. All right, that's all we have for you. Thanks for tuning in. As always, love ya. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started he records our shows he posts them he adds awesome awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing he sends us teaser episodes he does it all we just sit here and friggin' talk we shoot the shit and you can record from home your office the park a bathroom stall at work it doesn't matter he provides the complete podcast studio all you need is a microphone and you're good Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need super. him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. 
So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. <laughs> 